Well, let's, uh, let's turn to God's Word. We're going to be looking at Psalm 95 this morning, and you'll find that on page 499 in the Bibles that we have for you in the pews. Uh, today, we're going to close out our series on the mission of God's people, and we're going to do so by focusing on worship. Now, if you're tracking with me, you may be wondering what does the mission of God's people and worship have to do with each other? Well, there's a, an interesting command about worship at the very beginning of Psalm 105. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the peoples. In other words, among the Gentiles. This is Old Testament language among those who don't yet know God. In other words, we're supposed to, to sing and pray and proclaim God's truth in worship, assuming and longing for those who don't yet know God to be present so that they may too join us eventually in the worship of God. We're supposed to worship. I mean, part of the responsibility of worship is to worship in such a way that those who listen in, as it were, those who aren't yet followers of Jesus, may very well be attracted to the same God whom we are worshiping. Now, again, Old Testament, uh, we're not used to thinking of, of the Gentiles, the nations, other than the Jewish people, uh, worshiping God in any way or even being a part of a worship service. But Jerusalem, where the temple was, uh, was a, a significant place of commerce in the Old Testament days. And so many Gentiles traveled there, and many of them would go to the temple and, and witness the worship of God. And so that helps us then make sense of this command in Psalm 105 to give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the peoples. Some have called that a world-winning worship. That was to be the temple, a center of world-winning worship. Others have called it doxological evangelism. Now, what I want to do is, is bring that to today in the words of a, a good friend. And he says this, the idea is that when we worship with enthusiasm and energy and, and expectation that God is present with us as He promises to be, then others will be attracted to God and be reconciled to God and eventually worship alongside us the God that we have come to know. And, and one of the things that has to be true, though, is, is this. I mean, part of what should be conscious for us during the worship service is if our unbelieving family and friends join us in worship, they need to see that we really enjoy worship. They need to see us engaged. They need to hear what we just heard in that anthem where God's people are singing with all their might to the God who is worthy of our song, worthy of our praises. You know, if you go back to the Old Testament, you will see that they worshiped with an awful lot of energy. Second uh, Chronicles 29, uh, there was a lot of noise made in the worship service. And in Ezekiel 3, we're told that the shouts of the people in worship could be heard far away. And so mission can actually take place when you sing to the top of your voice. 
uh, when you participate in the corporate readings, when you smile when you're happy, when you let your tears flow in joy or repentance, and when you raise your hands to receive the benediction, because that lets unbelievers know that you are meeting with God in worship and that He is actually desirable to meet with. So I want to take a good look at worship this morning, and I can't think of any better place to do so than Psalm 95. I can't think of a place in all of Scripture where God's people throughout the centuries have turned to to understand what worship is to be. So look with me there. We're going to start reading in verse 1 of Psalm 95. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. The NIV has that as let us shout aloud. Let us come into His presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to Him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In His hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are His also. The sea is His, for He made it. And his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, be with us now. You have created us to worship. And so enable us to understand more what worship is, that we might truly engage more with you in the worship service. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so uh, we are to worship in a way that is attractive to those who don't yet know God. And if we're to do that, we have to be able to answer two questions. First, what is worship? Second, How do I get better at worship? What is worship? How do I get better at worship? Two simple questions, but I want to talk about that uh, during our time this morning. Uh, If you went to Covenant Seminary, where I uh, did as a student, at some point in time, you would take a personality profile called the Myers-Briggs. And there's an old joke among Myers-Briggs users And here it is. Question, what happens when a passionate, hyper-expressive, emotional feeler meets a logical, hyper-rational, Mr. Spock-type thinker? Answer, they get married. (laughs) Now, for worship, for worship, to be true worship, worship that pleases the Lord and wins the world, deep thinking and profound feeling need to go together. In verses 1 and 2 that we read earlier, there's a lot of emotion. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Or as the NIV has it, let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. In other words, you know, it's difficult to shout unless you're pretty excited about something. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. 
Now, look, there are all kinds of emotions in worship. It doesn't have to be joy. Uh, sometimes the emotions that are, are fitting uh, for worship are, gosh, things like sorrow for sin or humility in the presence of the greatness of God or gratitude for the good gifts of God. But the point is this. If there's no emotion in worship, if no emotion is bubbling up from your heart, then you're not actually engaging in the worship of God. God made you a whole person, and all of our person is to be engaged in the worship of God. So, if there's no emotion attached to the truths that you're affirming, if there's no experience of the ravishing beauty of God or the tender care of God or the greatness of God, when you're hearing or singing these wonderful truths in worship, then it's just not worship. But, on the other hand, if there is profound feeling without deep thinking, it's not really worship either because the emotions or godly affections might be a better term. The the godly affections typically in, in worship arise from really understanding the deep truths about God. You know, it's interesting, but uh, after we're told to make a joyful noise to God in verse 2, the psalmist tells us why we should make a joyful noise beginning in verse 3. For the Lord is a great God. He gives us reasons and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, uh, for he made it. I mean, think about that for a moment. Could you make a sea? I mean, think, just stop and think about the God who created the sea. And his hands formed the dry land. So reason after reason after reason is given to let us know why we should make a joyful noise in worship. These godly affections, emotions, if you will, arise typically in worship as we're contemplating the deep truths about our God. And and we see the same thing in verse 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Why? Verse 7, for He is our God and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. So, profound feeling and deep thinking go together. Now, I realize that we're, we're different personalities and some of us are more feeling-oriented than thinking-oriented. Some of us are more thinking-oriented than feeling-oriented. But nevertheless, true worship at some level involves both of those things, deep thinking and profound feeling. Now, there's one more thing that must be present for worship to be worship that honors the Lord And that is the bending of our will to God's will. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Bowing down, kneeling before the Lord is a, is a posture of submission, humility before the Lord. It is a, a total submission. In other words, saying, uh, whatever you wish, whatever you want from me is what I want for me. Worship, if it is true worship, brings about life transformation. So, let me put all this together, and then I want to try to illustrate this for you so that it doesn't seem so abstract. Worship involves the whole person, mind, will, emotion. 
As you come to appreciate the the teachings of Scripture about uh, the true value of our God, your heart is moved with affection for God, and and your life is transformed as you begin to reorient uh, your life around God. So, I I don't know of a better way to try to illustrate this than uh, with a television show that Judy and I have seen a number of times. It's called Antiques Roadshow. Now, if you've never seen it, it is, a, it is a show where a group of antiques experts travel from place to place, city to city, village to village, and they invite people from that area to come and bring an antique that they have so that these experts can tell them what is the real value of their antique. And sometimes it is unbelievable the finds Uh, that take place on this show. And so, uh, one of my favorites uh, took place in 2012. Antiques Roadshow uh, really, let's see, stopped in Cornwall in in, uh, southwest England. And and there, a school librarian brought a a tiny little bronze sculpture about this big. And uh, she explained to the expert who was to give her a value of that little sculpture, she explained that she had no idea what it was worth and, in fact, was a paperweight. It was being used for years as a paperweight on the head teacher's desk. Well, uh, she was gobsmacked, as they say, unbelievably surprised uh, when the expert said to this librarian that your little bronze sculpture that's been used for decades as a paperweight is worth about one million dollars. And so, of course, that changed everything about that little sculpture. It didn't go back to the head teacher's desk. It went straight to the museum and was put on display. Now, here's, here's the point of all of this. Everything changed when this school librarian realized the true value of this little paperweight. Worship is coming to understand the true value of God in in such a way that your whole life is reoriented around God because he becomes what you most value in life. Worship is not just a little pick-me-up. It's not just a little hour of inspiration. Worship, if it is truly worship, transformed your life. If you're engaging with God in the worship service, hearing from Him, responding to Him, uh, then your life will be transformed bit by bit by bit. Most of the people in the United States would say that they believe in God even today. But like that librarian who had no idea of the value of that little bronze sculpture, I think so many people who say they believe in God in this country have no idea of the value of God. And because of that, their lives aren't really centered on God. You see, there's a real night and day difference between believing in God and truly, really worshiping the one who has made you and who redeems you. Worshiping God, let me, maybe I can give you this as a definition. Worshiping God is the ongoing discovery that there is nothing, nothing more valuable than God. Worshiping God is the ongoing discovery that there is nothing more valuable than God and the ongoing reorientation of your life around what you most value. 
that answers the, the first question, what is worship? I want to move to the second, how do I get better at worship? Now, there's so much we could say here, and I wish we had several days to work through this, but I want to focus on the one thing that we've already begun talking about. Going back to the antiques roadshow illustration, the, the expert, if you've ever watched this, you'll know that the, the, these folks are experts because they really do know the value of these antiques, but, but they come to evaluation by looking at various reasons why the little piece of art should be worth what it is. Uh, so they'll look at who is the artist, how old is it, how rare is it, what is the condition of it. And, and that's what you see the psalmist doing in this passage. He lists reason after reason that give us a hint at least of the extraordinary value of God. Going back, for the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. I mean, answer after answer why we should highly value, why God should be the thing, the person that we most value. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the, uh, the dry land. As we gather to worship, then, then I don't know if there's anything more important than, than, than this. If we're going to worship in a way that pleases God, if we're going to worship in a way that, uh, that gives to us what we need from God, if we're going to worship in a way that really is uh, attractive to those who don't yet know God, then we need to engage with God and, and do so in this way. We need to think deeply about the many different ways that the Bible actually helps us understand the value, the worth of God, the many different reasons that Scripture gives us from beginning to end about the glorious nature of our God. And, and so the Bible, I mean, think about it like this, the Bible is actually God telling you about Himself and His concern for you. And, and so look for that, listen to God, then respond to God. We're a part of a tradition as Presbyterians who honestly believe that the whole worship service from beginning to end is to be filled with the Word of God. We are to sing the Word of God. Uh, we are to pray the Word of God. We are to preach the Word of God. Nothing inconsistent with the Word of God should ever be proclaimed from this pulpit. That doesn't mean we're perfect, but that is our goal. That is what we seek to do. And, and one of the things that we forget at times is that the whole Word of God is about God. Ultimately, it's about God. And so when you sing, for instance, think deeply about the, the many ways that the song highlights the value or the worth of God, and then let your heart respond. Engage with God. Worship isn't passive. You can watch worship. But that's not worshiping. Worship involves your whole being engaging with the God who created you and who created you to worship. Worship is gathering with the people of God to meet with God, intentionally focusing on the extraordinary worth of the one who created us, sustains us, and who watches over us. So those of us who preach have one main purpose, and this is it. We are here to proclaim the worth of God from the Word of God. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep 
of his hand. God is our shepherd. And so what I want to do is, is look at that one aspect of God and touch on just a bit of what that means for us because it gives us a wonderful hint, at least, of the value of God to us. And so what I want to do for just a moment is to talk about God as our shepherd, and meaning this, at least in this moment, he is with us for our good, whether we see him or not. And that means that no matter what trial you go through, he is there. And he is there for you. When we lived in Scotland, um, one of the pastors who had pastored the church before we arrived was a wonderful man named Douglas McMillan. And uh, he, at one point, on one occasion, was with another minister who uh, was about to die. And um, two hours before this other minister died, all of a sudden, he sat up. He hadn't been able to sit up for days. He hadn't been able to move for days. But he sat up, and, and Douglas said a light kind of came onto his face. And, and he said to his son, who was sitting beside the bed, I am looking into heaven, and I see the Savior. He is with me. Now, Douglas McMillan, before he was a pastor, was a shepherd for 12 years. And the point that I, that I want to make is that God is our good shepherd, and he is with us whether we see him or not. On Douglas's farm where they kept sheep, there was a, there was a mountain about 1,500 feet tall, and, and Douglas was up there late one night, early in the morning, watching over his sheep. And from that vantage point, he said you could see every thistle with, a, with binoculars. In other words, he could see everywhere where his sheep were. And that night, there was a fox who was disturbing a group of his sheep on one of the little plateaus not far from him. And they had lost about 300 lambs because of these hill foxes. And so he was up there with a set of binoculars and a rifle and a shepherd's crook. And he's watching, and all of a sudden, he sees something he's never seen before. And it's one of these little foxes, this hill, these little hill foxes, uh, moving his sheep, gathering them together and driving them toward a boggy area where he would get them bogged down and then go in for the kill. Well, uh, Douglas had never seen anything quite like this, so he didn't stop this little fox right away. I mean, he had never seen any of his collies move these sheep as effectively as this fox was. And the sheep, of course, were, were panicked. The mothers were trying to protect the, the little lambs, and, and their whole world is, is being turned upside down. But then right before this fox goes in for the kill, Douglas does something very simple. He puts two fingers in his mouth, and he whistles, and the fox takes off. The shepherd's eye was on the sheep the entire time. He knew precisely what was happening, and he had the ability in a moment to shield them from danger and harm. Your great shepherd never slumbers. He never sleeps. He is always with you, and he is always watching over you for your good. And when you think about it, when your own sin threatened your very life, Jesus didn't just whistle. He went to a cross and died. Think for a moment about that and worship the one who would do 
such a thing for you. I'm going to close this morning a little differently. I'm going to give you a moment just to reflect on the Word of God, and then I'll close us in prayer. Oh, Father, we thank you that you are our good shepherd and that you watch over us for our good. We thank you that you are always with us, whether we see you or not. And we thank you that you have created us for worship. Uh, Father, I pray even as we close now, we would worship with all our being as a reflection of your great goodness to us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.